0: Thank you, choir, so very much. Thank you, orchestra, Brad, leading us beautifully this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to look at Cain and Abel this morning. And you all know we've been in this series through the summer on In the Beginning, looking at the book of Genesis. And uh, it's been a wonderful uh, few weeks as we've explored together. We've seen God create all things in the heaven and the earth. We've seen him Uh, create male and female. We've seen the first marriage and the joy of husband and wife coming together, leaving father and mother, holding fast to their wife. We've seen the joy of God giving Adam and Eve everything that they could have wanted. The the goodness, the fullness, the the never-ending goodness of being in the Garden of Eden, right there with the Lord, perfection of communion between God and man. All things are good. We we transferred that to Eve talking to uh, the serpent Eve and Adam falling into sin, the curse that God gives, and we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 4, Cain killing Abel. If you think your family's got issues, the first family certainly has issues. Mom and dad talking to a snake, falling into sin, bringing down humanity with it, and son kills son. Genesis chapter 4. Not a good start for us, is it? But when we look back at the beginning and see all these things we've talked about, you see the same song being played out over and over to present day right now. The same things that we're seeing over and over again, the same things anecdotally that we're experiencing with our eyes or the same things that have been happening since the beginning. And so we've been talking about this so that we would respond in a wise way when we see and experience it today. And so this morning, let me read for us Genesis chapter 4, we'll be at verses 1 through about 16, and then we'll just launch into this thing together. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought to the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions." And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wonder on the earth, and whoever finds me will surely kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us? Lord, as always, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart in this moment would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. You are collectively our rock and our redeemer. Lord, would our hearts be open and receptive so that we leave this place different than when we came in? It's in Jesus' name I ask, amen. If you have your outline, you can go ahead and pull that out, and we'll notice the first thing that you see is Cain's offering is not accepted. Cain's offering is not accepted. Now we could spend a lot of time and there's a lot of commentary on why Cain's offering is not accepted. We could look and say, maybe it was because Cain offered some first fruit or some fruits of the ground and Abel offered the first fruit or first of his uh, fatted uh, flock. And he was giving it uh, out of the overflow, the first portions. Maybe you could say it was because Abel offered a blood sacrifice and Abel just offered some fruit of the ground. There's a lot that we could discuss, but in my estimation, Understanding what was wrong with the offering is not nearly as important as understanding Cain and Abel's response to it. Uh, we can look and see in Hebrews chapter eleven four. 4, it says, by faith, Abel offered a more acceptable offering to the Lord. So we know that Abel and Cain both understood what was required, what was acceptable to them, yet Abel did it and Cain didn't. Again, we could spill a lot of ink and there's a lot of good books to read about why each offering were accepted and not. But for me and this morning, I think it's so important for us to understand the response that Cain gives to his offering not being accepted. We know and understand because we know the Bible is one consistent, coherent story from Genesis to Revelation that we see that most certainly this is a heart issue for Cain and Abel. We see even as the widow's mite, we see that it's not necessarily as important as what is given, but how it is given. And so this morning, we recognize and the underpinning that we need to understand is Cain's offering is not accepted. And that would quickly move us to number two. We're not gonna fly this fast the whole time, all right? So Cain's offering is not accepted, but number two, Cain is warned, but not affected. And this is where I want us to unpack for the bulk of our time, that Cain is warned, but he's not affected. Now, I do believe that Cain understood that God had given Cain and Abel precisely what they were called to. They were doing what was out of the overflow of their uh, responsibilities. Cain worked the ground, so he would have crops that would come forth. Abel worked the flocks, and so he would have the opportunity to offer sacrifices or offerings to the Lord. So they were giving what was uh, from their uh, bounty of what their work gave them but in verse 5 and 6 if you have your bible look at look at it with me but for Cain and his offering god had no regard so Cain was very angry and his face fell And interestingly, in verse 6, it says the Lord said to Cain, Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you and you must rule over it. Maybe for the first time that we've got here, God comes to Cain before his sin and says, Cain, listen, be careful. Cain, let me warn you, if you continue on the pathway that you're on, it's not going to end well for you. Cain is warned by God, don't do this. Cain, be careful. I mean, in some ways, Adam and Eve had this same kind of warning sign when they said, hey, you've got everything you could ever want, but don't take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because you will die. And so here, Cain has given an offering. It's not accepted. And somehow, by God's grace, God comes to Cain and says, Cain, if you do well, you'll be accepted. If you don't do well, sin is crouching at your door, and it's going to attack. It's going to devour. Cain, buddy, here's the deal. Do right. You're good to go. Everything's going to be okay. Do wrong. Sin is crouching at your door, ready to pounce on you, man. I mean, you look scripturally, you see it's the same thing that Peter was saying. Hey, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It's as if the Bible was written to remind us this is how sin operates, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This imagery of sin crouching at the door. One commentator likened it to if you've ever seen an animal crouch, they, they, get, they get smaller, right? They crouch, they get small to be hidden. Is that not what sin does as well? When sin crouches, isn't that what the enemy did to Eve? It's not that big of a deal. It's small. It's not that big of an issue. It's, it's small. It's little. It's not that big of a deal. An animal would crouch also to show you that maybe it's not that big of a threat, Right? Sin crouching. It's small and little. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. You see that little animal down there crouching? What's it going to really do, right? It's crouching at the door. But you know what an enemy, what the roaring lion will do? As it's crouching and looking small and powerless and ineffective, prowls around like a roaring lion, and it is crouching at the door, ready to pounce. And this is why, this is why God would say, Cain, don't open the door to it. Don't open the door to sin. Don't open the door to the sin that's crouching, ready to pounce, ready to, ready to take hold. As I look at this passage, and in my life as I have ministered with friends, gone to seminary with brothers. As I've read news reports of great and godly men that I deeply love and respect. As you and I know, men and women who are in notable places doing wonderful things. I think at times we forget how close sin is how much it wants to devour and take hold of our lives. That when we let the door, when we open the door to sin in our lives, it pounces and destroys. I think about the people in my life who I I loved, respected, and served alongside to that opened the door to sin in their lives. And like a roaring lion, pounced and devoured and destroyed This is why we take this seriously. This is why we look and Cain is coming and hearing the word of the Lord saying, Cain, do well. Your offering, you will be accepted. But sin is right there, ready to pounce, ready to devour. Be careful, Cain. Don't let this into your home, into your heart. Don't let it near, Cain. Keep it away from you. Fortify your heart. Fortify your home. Fortify against it. Cain, it's right there. It may look small and ineffective and powerless, but Cain, don't mess with it. Cain is warned, but Cain is unaffected. And friends, we have God's word. And and I want to go back to what we've talked about week after week, that God has wired and created us. He knows us. He knows what is good for us. He knows what gives us full of joy and peace and life for us. But we know the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if anyway, the enemy would come to destroy us through the foothold of sin. Cain is warned, but unaffected. Friends, let's not let that be true of us. When the Bible speaks clearly of sin, friends, we avoid it. We don't toe the line. We don't flirt with it. We don't let it play around. We we get rid of it. We don't let it be near us. We close the door to it over and over and over again because its its purpose is to overcome, to devour. It's contrary to you, but you must rule over it, not it over you. Now now it's here. I wanna pause and I wanna give you a second mini sermonette, okay? So if you didn't like the first one, where it's going, I'm gonna give you a, a completely different one, all right? So if you can connect with this one, just... Just forget everything, this is for you, okay? So in the midst of everything, I'm gonna give you like a three-minute mini-sermonette on anger, okay? Just, here we go, you ready? Part two. All right, because what we see right here is Cain, in the midst of God telling him that his, his sin or his offering was not acceptable, you see in verse number five that his, he was very angry and his face fell. God even says, Cain, why are you so angry? Can I give you some encouragement in the midst of your anger if you are an angry person? We see where Cain's anger led him. His anger led him to kill his brother. And you may say, "Hey man, my anger is bad, but it ain't that bad. No chance I'm going to kill my brother. Okay, I got anger issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not killing anybody, so I've got it under control. All right. Let me give you number two things, real quick. In your anger, slow down. In your anger, slow down. We see James 1, 19 through 20, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Slow down. Some of you have the old adage, count to 10. In your anger, some of you need to count like a thousand multiple times, right? It's okay. In your anger, slow down. In the midst of your anger, give yourself the room to understand why you're angry, what's going on in your heart. If you don't slow down, oftentimes you speed up headlong into sin. So often, if you don't slow down in your anger, you're only speeding up into a brick wall of sin. In my life personally, as I look back many times, the root problem of my sin wells up in anger. In high school, I had a little anger situation going on through a certain circumstance. And and I found, this is going to be really dumb, but it may be effective. I found that I needed, before I got home, to go to the Walmart and walk up and down every aisle of the store. I say that because I, I was struggling deeply. I was frustrated. And so I found that going to the grocery store, walking up and down every aisle of the store, thinking, contemplating, getting my mind off things, allowed me the time and effort and energy to calm my soul down. And for some of us, in the midst of our anger, we recognize it is not producing in us the righteousness of God. Our anger is causing us to fall into brick walls that are like sin walls, and we're just running headlong into them. So for Cain, we slow down in the midst of our anger. But number two, we we get it right and we deal with it. We see Ephesians chapter four, 26 through 27 says, in your anger, do not sin, recognizing that we at times, we will sin. Our anger does and our flesh calls us to want to sin. And the Bible gives us a great word. It says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. We talk about this a lot in the course of marriage that husbands and wives don't go to bed angry with one another. Right? Don't go to bed with your backs to each other angry and fuming because you'll wake up the next day and it hasn't gotten much better and you're holding on to something that's only killing you. But it's not just for husbands and wives, it's across the board. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it. Deal with the sin, deal with the rot that's inside of you. Because listen to the end of Ephesians chapter four. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. It's as if Cain is hearing from the Lord the same thing that we're seeing in Ephesians. If you're you're not careful, Cain, you're gonna open the door. You're gonna give the devil a foothold to get into your home. You're gonna open the door for sin in your life. After all, we recognize that anger is just one letter removed from danger, Proverbs twenty nine eleven 11 rhymes as a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. So in the midst of Cain, you see the anger welling up in him until eventually you see, we'll be back to sermon number one. Cain experiences the snowball of sin. Cain experiences the snowball of sin. Let's just unpack the facts. Cain's offering is not accepted. His face falls. His anger wells up inside of him. A warning comes. He murders his brother and then actively denies to the God of creation what he has done. You talk about a snowball, more like an avalanche of sin in Cain. A moment where he could have repented and come to faith. He could have repented and come back to the Lord. An avalanche, a snowball of sin. To the point that God comes to Cain and says, where is your brother? And Cain has the audacity to say, am I my brother's keeper? Essentially saying, am I responsible for my brother's whereabouts? Am I responsible for my brother? And the audacity of the man who killed his brother to say to the God of the universe, am I responsible for my brother's whereabouts? It's as almost as if he's learned from his mom and his dad who said, the woman that you put here, she did it. Cain is experiencing the audacity and the snowball of sin. As I sat in my study last night, preparing to figure out what it looked like, I, I was struck by how avoidable all this feels. Doesn't this just feel so avoidable? Cain, what in the world are you doing killing your brother? Adam and Eve, why are you talking to a serpent, man? Why are you talking to the snake? It's right there, you know why, you know God's told you not to do it. Cain, God's warned you not to do this. Cain, just repent and come to, like go back to the Lord, he's welcoming you in. Cain, come on, man. Doesn't it feel so avoidable? but I know I look back on many of my shortcomings and sins and failures in my own life and think, come on, Mark. Like, how obvious was it? And so this morning, the point of where I wanted us to go is to recognize that God gives us clarity in how we respond when we fall short. You see at the bottom of your outline, Cain's curse is surely severe, There's no doubt Cain's curse is severe. A fugitive to wander the earth, to work the ground, not to yield much. In fact, some would say that Cain repents because his punishment is so great. But in verse 10, we see that the voice, God says to Cain, the voice of your brother's blood crying out from the ground. That Abel's blood cries out from the ground. I put on the bottom of your outline that even in the midst of all this, you see God's redemptive story being written. Hebrews 12, 24 at the bottom of your outline says, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Let's connect the dots for just a second as we prepare to go. That Abel's blood to the Lord was crying out justice, condemnation, justice over my blood. I've been killed. Please justice over my death. But Jesus's blood speaks a better word The blood of Jesus speaks a word of grace, no condemnation, mercy. And so even in the midst of the story of Cain and Abel, you see God's redemptive story and his purpose being written, that one day one would come whose blood would be spilled, not to cry from the ground condemnation and justice, but will one day say mercy and grace and speak a better word. This is the redemptive story of the gospel from Genesis all the way through. Let's pray together. Lord, help us. Or maybe today we are struggling with anger and so Lord, would you slow us down and get our hearts right. Maybe today we we hear the warning signs all around us yet we keep buying into the lie of Satan's hook. So Lord, help us this morning. This morning in just one voice and one accord, we just say help. We need you. We can't do this on our own. We're not strong enough, wise enough, cunning enough. Lord, we, we need you. And so, Lord, we, we come to you today asking for you to give us wisdom and grace in our time of need. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.